Good morning, Greenville, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, brought to you by the Highland Terrace Baptist Church right here in Greenville, Texas. On each broadcast, you'll hear moving interviews and a great message by the pastor of Highland Terrace, Dr. Chet Haney. So turn up your radio and call a friend. You may find that today you're the one who will be touched by... Welcome, everyone. Pastor Chet Haney here with Highland Terrace Baptist Church. And this is the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast and podcast. So glad to have you with us today and so glad to have in studio today the one and only Miss Lisa Palazzetti. Lisa, welcome and thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I couldn't believe you asked me to do this, and this <laughs> is just so special. Wow. We're just so, so glad to have you, Lisa, and uh, she and her husband, Matt, are wonderful friends and incredible church members, so supportive and so just positive, encouraging, and active, and just excited about the Lord and excited about Highland Terrace. You're just the kind of members I love to uh, associate with and just grateful to God for y'all and uh, looking forward to seeing what the future has in store. And uh, Lisa, I wanted to just thank you for coming because you've got quite a story that I am finding has more and more to it as I uh, as I get to know you even better. And uh, we have some things in common. Uh, both of our dads were associated with TCU at one time over in Fort Worth. Go Frogs! <laughs> and both of us went to Southwest High School. Unbelievable small world. It's a small world. We're both rebels, Southwest rebels. Southwest rebels, yeah, back in the day. That was a great, great um, school. I was talking to Lisa about the Friday night football experience with the Southwest rebels. It was just unbelievable back in the day. And um, I'm just... Uh, Grateful, Lisa, for uh, the opportunity. I want to hear uh, a little bit. My dad, as I told you, was a teacher at uh, TCU in those days, and your dad was actually an athletic director. Yes, Incredible. sir. Incredible. That was yes, a fun sir. job. Uh, tell me a little bit about him and, and his work there, as you remember. So um, he became my father. When I was about four and a half, almost five, and he was just getting into being a football coach at TCU in about uh-huh. 1971. Yeah. And he worked his way up from, he was on the football team for a long time, and I have the most amazing memories of growing up with that. Wow. So you and got to be around a lot of cool I stuff. I had the greatest experience running yeah. around in the stands yeah. and um, sliding down the hills during the football <laughs> games on cardboard, yeah. wearing um, football jerseys. That was my nightwear every time I went to sleep. <laughs> and uh, if they ever needed children to stand in for pictures, we were right there. Mm-hmm. And right. just an unbelievable experience and an unbelievable man. And he went from football coach to track coach. He was um, golf coach of the year for three years and then worked his way up to assistant athletic director and with Frank Windigger as the athletic director. And that's how he retired. Mm -hmm. And I remember going in his office and all they had were my favorite kind of pins, those those felt sharpies uh-huh. and they were purple you never yeah. found any other pen but purple no other color but purple Mm-mm. for somebody no. at TCU. and we would just get to run around the coliseum because that's where they had their office 
in the basketball coliseum and um that's how he retired and i'm very fortunate i have purple blood mm-hmm. and i had never well there were two weeks uh-huh. my junior year i said something about going to ut austin and i don't uh-huh. know if they talked to me for two weeks <laughs> but um other Worked than you that out of the will temporarily probably when you yeah. said that yeah. but other than that i knew i was going to tcu and never looked back so. sweet mm-hmm. That's fun. I can remember hanging out on that campus as a high school kid, going to football games, playing tennis and racquetball and lifting weights and just hanging out. It was such a a fun place uh, for me. Um, Now, your dad, as you said, became your dad. Yes. I want to hear a little bit about that and how uh, he, uh, you know, uh, stepped into an important role in your life. Yes. So my original father and my mother they divorced when i was about three Mm -hmm. and then my mother started going back to school yeah and she was a teacher Mm -hmm. and during that time we were very involved with church i mean from i can only remember church i can't remember ever not going to church and we went to south hills baptist church in fort worth and my pastor brother reed walter reed he's deceased now for a few years yeah. He um, introduced my parents. Oh, he did? Yes. He knew some of the coaches at TCU and had heard about Mel Thomas. And mm-hmm. so he introduced my mom and him, and they never looked back. And wow. just the nicest man. Um, Brother Reed. Brother Reed. Yeah. And then my father, Mel Thomas. There's something special about somebody that is going to marry someone that already has two daughters. Mm-hmm. I had a sister. She's 18 months older than me. Yeah. And, um, so you were five and seven at the time, the two of you, yes, something like that mm-hmm. when they got married. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you said that, um, you know, when you came into the, to the marriage with him, it was a little bit of an adjustment, huh? It was difficult. It was back in those days. They didn't know mm-hmm. what they should and shouldn't do about divorce. Yeah. And, uh, we're one of those typical, children of divorce that had a difficult time and i experienced some problems because of that but mainly mine came later really yeah it was during my early teen years yeah and i just think that i had a problem with not feeling like i had any control of anything and Mm -hmm. couldn't make any of my own decisions and just the guilt of wanting to be with my real father but hurting my stepfather who Mm -hmm. would never say anything yeah but um I'm telling you now that if it wasn't for him, yeah. Mel Thomas yeah. and my mom, and but especially I have to tell you my church, if really? it had not been for, I was blessed yeah. to be in a amazing youth group. I mean, we grew Sweet. up together and we went on. I was at church every Wednesday. I was at mm-hmm. church every Sunday. Yeah. I was at church all day Sunday mm-hmm. and I was in the choir, the mission trips. I did mm-hmm. all that and um, I could have gotten lost without that experience. Well, you said Brother Reed uh, could actually read you. Yes, he could. Rather well. Yes. So when I was going through some of my difficulties and he would tell my mother, I mean, it's the best thing ever. I love this story. He'd uh-huh. go, you know, my mom was worried about me being wild or, you know, doing something I shouldn't. He said, yeah. Lisa is going to climb a fence and she's going to get on that fence and look over the other side. She might put her leg over a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Barbara, she is never going to jump over that fence. You do not worry about Lisa. Well, how did he know that? He knew me. I mean, he just, Uh 
He knew your heart? He knew my heart. I spent a lot of time with him before my mom remarried. And then even my dad, he being at TCU, Mm -hmm. he was gone a lot. And so I would still spend a lot of time at church. And and Brother Reed made sure that there was, he tried to fill that gap. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, A pastor, a friend, a father figure. Very, very important man in your life. I can't imagine having anyone else marry my husband and I, and thank goodness he was still around to do that. And what do you consider the lasting impact of this pastor on your life now? I'm worthy. Wow. He made sure. Yeah, he knew I didn't feel that, that, but I Mm. made sure I knew that I mattered. That's deep. Mm -hmm. You are special. You matter. You're worthy because Jesus made you worthy. Thank you. These and, are lessons that you learned from your pastor yes, growing up. And I tell my students mm-hmm. and I tell my staff. Yeah. I, I end everything with you matter. You matter. Yes, sir. Wow. We need to hear that these days because there is a rising worldview that makes people wonder if anything matters. Um, least of all people themselves. You know, I think the uh, the beliefs that we hold dear, one of the most important is that, uh, you know, God is who he is, and he's made us who we are for a reason and a, and a purpose. Um, can you remember for us uh, some details of how God, during those days, uh, actually captured your heart and made himself real to you so that you understood Uh, Those things you just shared with us? Yes. I mean, I always felt him. I Mm -hmm. never remember a time not feeling him, especially in the young years. Yeah. So you were aware of the Lord. I was. Constantly. I believed. I never. That's what the Bible calls the fear of God. It's an awareness of this holy, awesome presence of God, you know, and his proximity to us at all times. Yeah. But I remember being in church and I knew I was getting close to when I wanted to be baptized. And, mm-hmm. and I knew, I know a lot of people get baptized earlier, mm-hmm. but, um, I was about 11 and I remember, uh, and I could have gotten baptized a lot earlier. I yeah. mean, I felt like I was a child of God, but yeah. I was standing up in the pew and it mm-hmm. was about time to, for people that wanted to go to the front. And I came over something that I felt like it's, I was filled with the spirit. It was the craziest thing. Uh, yeah. Nobody, I don't know unless you've felt that way before, but it, it's true. And I just knew I was ready. I went down the aisle and got baptized. And, mm-hmm. you know, some days I wish I could go back to that. Yeah. That feeling that you have when you just know he's with you at all times. I don't know that I fully understand it, Lisa. The Bible describes a quickening of the spirit where we're made alive uh, in the spirit which is necessary in order to even be able to receive faith and salvation. It's it's a work that God does in us to prepare us for the um, the experience of knowing Him and understanding Him. It's it's a deep it's a deep deep thing. Now, um, one of the things God has been good to you. Yes, sir. In so many ways, hasn't He? Yes, he has. And one of the great things God has done in your life was bringing Matt into your life. And uh, Matt, who has also become 
a, a friend, a dear friend, and I'm really enjoying getting to know Matt. Looking forward to more and more fellowship in the future. Friends, it's time for the message by Pastor Haney. I'm not saying necessarily that this man should be our example, because after all, he's barely even become a believer and not fully that yet. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to see in the next passage how Jesus explains to him more perfectly and more fully what it means to be a follower of his. Uh, Jesus comes to him lovingly and comes uh, joyfully, comes after he'd been cast out. Jesus says, I've come to bring you in. And uh, you may be rejected by this world, but I'll tell you what, you put your faith in Jesus and you're going to find a place to abide forever. And no one will ever be able to snatch you out of his hand. That's a beautiful thing. We're going to see that in detail next week. But uh, right now, I want you to see uh, in the next verses how um, the, uh, the gospel uh, defines what, uh, what you really are. In other words, let, let me just say this. A lot of people have suffered and um, feel maybe victimized by something that's happened to them that's very painful. Maybe from someone you love, a spouse or your parents or a good friend, somebody you thought was your friend. And uh, maybe you feel scarred by that because it's so hard to go through these things. But can I tell you something? Your life is not defined by what may have happened to you. You are who you are in Christ and who you choose to become through Christ. That's the gospel. Uh, And Jesus makes all the difference. So don't think that because you've been abused in your past that um, you're a victim of the past. Jesus has come to set you free from those chains. And what I want you to see right now is how inflammatory words can actually be taken as a compliment. Let's look at it together. Verses 28 and 29. Now, they did not mean this as a compliment, but look what they said. First of all, the Bible says they reviled him and they said to him, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. I told uh, some of you, perhaps, when I was in high school, my friends called me preacher, but that was not a compliment. They were giving me a hard time because they thought I was a, a prude, I guess. And uh, sometimes my friends, they couldn't wait to tell their dirty jokes around me. They couldn't wait to try on their new cuss words in my presence because they wanted to see if they could get a reaction out of me. And, you know, it was just ridiculous, really. Those guys, incidentally, they weren't as bad and tough as they made themselves out to be. And I wasn't as much of a saint as they tried to make me out to be. You peel away the layers of the onion and you'll find that we're all pretty much just alike on the inside. And uh, I needed to be saved just as much as they did. But notice what uh, they said to this man. 
you are his disciple, as if that's a dirty little secret. And uh, we are the disciples of Moses. Now, first of all, a disciple has to have a relationship with the person he's following. And so you can't be a disciple of Moses just by studying the finer points of the law. And you really can't be a Christian just by reading about Jesus. You have to enter into a relationship with him. That's impossible with Moses because he's no longer in our presence. But the presence of Jesus abides forever because of his resurrection. He said, even about this moment right now, he said, where two or three have gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. And so I'll promise you this. It's a strange situation we're in right now, isn't it? Worshiping like this, because we're not really in the church house together. You're there where you are, and I'm here where I am. But can I tell you something? God is here with both of us right now at the same time. And I want to tell you something, friend. If somebody accuses you of being a Christ-following disciple, don't you ever be offended by that. Take it as a compliment. They may not have meant it as a compliment, but if somebody accuses you of being a Christian, they meant it as an offense, you take it as an honor. We are Moses' disciples. We know God spoke to him. This fellow, we don't know where he came from. I want to tell you, hostility to Christianity is nothing new. It's been around ever since man's heart was hardened. And it's as old as man's heart is still hard today. Matter of fact, did you know in New York City, in Times Square, just a couple of years ago, there was a big billboard. And if you have been to Times Square, you know the billboards there are unlike any other ones you'll ever see anywhere else in the world. They're huge. They're massive. They're big rectangular shaped billboards, half the size of a building, stick it up in the sky. And on this billboard, there were two pictures. There was a picture of Santa Claus and there was a picture of Jesus. In the picture of Santa Claus, there was a happy man with a beard, and his eyes were pleasant. He had on a Santa Claus suit and a white beard and a red and white hat. And the picture of Jesus was a picture of him suffering in agony on the cross. And here's what the billboard said. You're not going to believe this, but listen, I'm going to tell you exactly what it said. It said on the top, except the Mary, and dump the myth. You believe that? Had you heard about that? I wish we were all here so I could ask some of you to raise your hands if you had ever heard that. Accept the Mary, dump the myth. You can uh, Google that if you want to, and you can see the picture for yourself. Can't say I recommend it. But, uh, you know, as I told you previously, uh, when the devil wants to influence this nation, he's usually not quite that bold. That's pretty bold. But normally, uh, as John MacArthur reminded us, and I quoted him just two, three, four weeks ago, I don't remember exactly what day it was. 
He said the way you'll more likely see a doctrine of a devil or the hissing of a snake is when a liberal college professor stands up and denies the, ver- uh, the veracity and the validity of what we find here in the Word of God. Or perhaps when a mainstream denominational preacher decides to uh, teach that stuff like homosexual behavior is actually okay. Did you hear what I said last week? I didn't know if everybody caught it or not. I couldn't tell if they did in my house <laughs> where we were having church. Uh, it's kind of funny listening to your own sermons because you want to tell everybody, be quiet, be quiet, something good's fixing to come, <laughs> you know. And I don't know if they got this at my house or not, but let me just repeat it for you today because I want you to get this. It was a quote from Jerry Vines who said, just like the crocodile-infested Nile River in Egypt where they were throwing little baby boys born to the Hebrews, there's a crocodile-infested Nile River going right through the middle of America right now. It's hostility to all the things that we grew up knowing and believing, our heartfelt traditions and much-loved doctrines of the faith from the Bible, the Word of God, about mainstream Christianity. It's all under attack. It's nothing new. It's been like this for a long time. And you know what? It takes a lot of faith to believe in that stuff. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about to be an unbeliever. It took a lot of faith for those guys who were standing there with the blind man healed to ignore what had just happened to him. What more could God have done that day than to heal a blind man who'd been blind from birth? Everybody around there recognized him. They knew who he was. And now the Pharisees were trying to say, well, he wasn't really blind. They were denying the power and the miracle of the work of God. It was just incredible. I think it takes a lot of faith to do that. To see something right before your very eyes that's just amazing and inspiring and it's a blessing and it's the work of God and you just don't want to believe it. That's the sad state of a hardened heart. And we better watch out for that because it can happen to any of us. But I want us to finish this message today with a healthy refresher and reminder about our true purpose. I don't think our true purpose as believers is to win arguments about Jesus. But rather, our goal is not to win arguments. It's to win people's hearts. And so uh, here's this man, verse 30, healed of his blindness, and here's what he says. Why? It's a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he's opened my eyes. In other words, he says, this is kind of amazing. You're telling me that this amazing thing has happened today, and you can't even accept it. Because of your hardness. Now, in verse 31, he goes on to school them a little bit. These are the professors of the Bible of their day, the professors of the law. And look what he says to them in verse 31. We know that God does not use sinners 
He does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. That is to say, a sinner can't be used by God. Now, we know God can use a broken vessel, and God can fill an empty vessel, but God cannot, he will not use an unholy, dirty vessel. That's why we have to proceed our repentance with humility and just acknowledge to God, Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to heal me of this darkness that's in my heart, this blackness of soul, this hardness of spirit. And notice what he says in verse 31b. We know that God hears, that is, he blesses, he favors, and he uses the one who humbles himself and repents and believes God, worships God, and he says, does what he says. So there's worship, there's action, and there's the blessing of God and how they all work together. Well, verse 32 was sort of unprecedented. He said before the history of the world, uh, we've never heard of it. No one's ever opened the eyes of one who was born blind. And yet someone did it today. And it takes a hard heart to deny the undeniable truth of what's happened to me. Uh, without God, it couldn't have been done. Verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Let me tell you something, Highland Terrace family. Everybody listening? Tune in. Tell everybody to stop eating their popcorn. Stop getting up around the couch. Stop messing with the TV or the iPad right now. Listen to this, okay? Listen. Soon, we're going to be revealing some visions and dreams and expectations of the future growth of our church. But I want to tell you something about our plans. If God doesn't accomplish it, it's not going to happen. We can't do it without him. And the truth is, there's only two possible responses to what I just said. One is scorching skepticism. And the other is simple, humble faith. Now you see the skepticism in verse 24. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in your sins. Excuse me, isn't that true of all of us? Everybody except Jesus. Are you teaching us? Their prideful, hard hearts made it impossible for them to receive anything. From Jesus or from somebody who'd been affected by Jesus. So what did they do? Well, they did the only thing left to do. They cast him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue just as his parents were afraid was going to happen to them. But he didn't seem to mind. And next Sunday, we're going to see a beautiful encounter that he had with Jesus. All right. So there's one response. The response of uh, skepticism and the scorching of uh, these men who were so hardened against the Lord. But then there's this response. Instead of that, you could respond to God in this way today, in humility and in trust and in relationship and in motion and in follow-through. And I encourage you to do that instead. 
Humble yourself right now. I have to do that from time to time. A lot of the time. All the time. Humble yourself. I'm telling you, it's the best way to travel. The peace of God is worth it when you humble yourself before God. And then trust God. Trust Him right now with your life and with your soul, with all your circumstances, all your problems. Just give them to the Lord. And in humility, enter now into a relationship with Jesus. A first-time relationship, if that's where you are. A deeper relationship, if that's where you are. And let it be in motion. It's not static. It's not just somewhere where you stand. The, The Bible describes our walk with Christ. The Bible describes running the race, mounting up with wings as eagles and soaring and running and walking. These are the things that we do with Christ. Get your life in motion with Him and be sure to follow through. That's where our church can help. We want to encourage you in your walk with Christ and help you as a disciple uh, to be baptized, uh, to be a member of the family to get involved in the study of His Word, ministry. It's what church is all about. And we'd be honored to be a part of that in your life as well. The Highland Terrace family, thank you today for being a part of this moment. Thank you for sharing these few moments with us today. And if you'd like to join us at Highland Terrace Baptist Church, you have several opportunities on Sunday. Highland Terrace is located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard right near the hospital. You can't miss it. Then in person, you might be touched by... 